welcome to our New Year's Eve special, a photographic life. Leading us in there was Guy Lombardo and his Royal Canadians. I don't know if it affects you in the same way it affects me, but whenever I hear Old Anxine, I always get that real sense of melancholy, I suppose. Now, as we reach the final days of 2021, it seemed to me to be a good idea to say thank you to all of you who've been listening, connecting with us over the past year. And also to welcome onto the podcast somebody who's already appeared twice, a third time contributor this week, and that is Bill Shapiro. And Bill and I will be talking about the future as well as the past and trying to bring some kind of resemblance of understanding, perhaps, to where we are currently in the photographic world. Bill and I spoke a few weeks ago now. He was in New York and I was in the shed. And I think a few things, particularly dealing with the dreaded NFTs, have moved on since our conversation. The photographic community and the photographic landscape is moving so quickly at the moment. It's no surprise that I feel the need to do this podcast on a weekly basis. So who is Bill Shapiro? Well, Bill served as the editor-in-chief of Life magazine, the legendary photo magazine. Life's relaunch in 2004 was the largest in Time Inc. history. Later, he was the founding editor-in-chief of Life.com, which won the 2011 National Magazine Award for Digital Photography. Shapiro is the author of several books, among them Gus and Me, a children's book he co-wrote with Rolling Stones guitarist and legend Keith Richards, and What We Keep, which looks at the objects in our life that hold the most emotional significance. A fine art photography curator for New York galleries and a consultant to photographers, Bill is also a contributing editor to the Leica Conversations series. He has written about photography for the New York Times magazine, Vanity Fair, The Atlantic, Vogue and Esquire, among others. And every Friday, more or less, he posts about under-the-radar photographers on his Instagram feed, where he's at Bill Shapiro. I think it's time to hear a little bit of badinage between Bill and I. Okay, so Bill, welcome to the podcast for what is the third time. That is definitely a record. Thanks so much, Grant. Always great to be here. Thank you. Well, listen, um, we're starting off the year. It seemed to make sense to have a kind of cross-Atlantic conversation. As always, very little structure to anything that we do here on the podcast, but a little bit of structure in that um, I sent you some uh, an email with some comments on it, a few thoughts, and you bounced an email back at me. What was really interesting was how similar our thoughts were. Yeah, I thought that was that was pretty cool, and I'm looking forward to diving in with you. Well, I think, you know, there's some themes, aren't there? And we're always talking about themes, dreams, and schemes, but there are definitely some themes here that I think have been really relevant over the past year and are definitely going to be talking points as we move into the um, next year. So let's start off with, with the big elephant, digital elephant. Is it even an elephant? Does it even exist as an elephant in the room, which is NFTs? 
so I said uh, NFTs, the future, or a Ponzi scheme, and you came back with uh, to me with NFTs continue to confuse as photographers spend and maybe waste time. So do you, do you want to kick off on NFTs? Yeah, well, I think the first um, and most important thing to say is that I know very little about NFTs. Um, I don't completely understand the blockchain, crypto, anything like that. But all that being said, what I am seeing is a lot of photographers spending a lot of time and resources and thought on turning their okay photos into NFTs in the hope of um, making bank, as we say. And I think I think there's something really important to consider here, which is an NFT is not just like a photo that there are special capabilities that I think are going to make NFTs worthwhile and worth something. Um, and part of that has to go with storytelling, maybe motion, um, maybe things that you can add to the experience besides just the photo itself. But do you think also that one of the the main reasons why I think, it's why I have a problem with it, and I think why a lot of photographers have a problem with it, is it does just seem to be focused on technology and cash. It it, it doesn't seem to be um, very much consideration of what the actual image is. And I've got to say, to me, it feels a little bit like really bad desktop publishing from the early 80s. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of whiz bang and and you know things moving around. I, it's not you know the the things that I've seen that have sold for a bunch of money are are certainly not my taste. Um, I leave it open to the possibility that I'm missing something. Um, you know, I do think there is potential for traditional photographs to be. NFTs and to enhance the experience of just, you know, flat art in a frame. I just haven't seen it yet. But do you think that's the real challenge for NFTs is actually explaining to the simple man what the hell is going on here? Well, I, I, I guess I sort of think that just like, you know, a hundred years ago, we didn't quite know what the internet was, but after a while <laughs> it suffuses pop culture enough so that you start to start to put it together. But, you know, for me, I think that people need to really think about the medium and not just converting one thing to a new medium, but really think about, you know, what does this medium allow for and what does it reward? Um, and, and I think instead of photographers just rushing to, to NFT allies something, um, they should put some thought into that. Also, if I, if I may, you know, I don't know what the stats are, but I keep reading about all the energy and resources that go into creating an NFT. And so, you know, with the mining. And so I, I, I do think there's a little bit of environmental environmentalist caution that I would throw up there too. 
Well, I think you're absolutely right. And I think that's definitely an argument that's been put forward. But I think it's interesting what you were saying there about the internet. I was part of the infamous dot-com boom. Um, and that did seem to me a lot of people who thought that they were going to make money out of getting involved with photography and publishing and creativity in lots of different ways. They chucked the money at it uh, and they lost it. And I, and I do, I, I really hate being either cynical or negative, but I think uh, perhaps a, that's what experience gives you is the, both those two things. And I'll be interested to see as the year develops, whether or not people have been jumping on it with just the idea of making a quick buck or actually because it has some value to it, which is creative value. Yeah. You know, I, I do know that, you know, huge players like Sotheby's um, have seemed to have gone all in on it. Um, so that that's neither here nor there, but it is, you know, it's not, uh, it's definitely mainstream at this point. Yeah. I mean, you're absolutely right. I mean, Darius Hines, who is at Sotheby's is almost evangelical about it. But yeah. after, after my time at Sotheby's, um, where I worked there back, uh, or 10 years or so ago, maybe a little bit longer, actually, that, um, you know, that's a money market. Um, yes. that's like estate agents for image. I mean, I, I remember once standing next to two Gerhard Richters and asking why was one more expensive? And the guy looked at me with incredulity and said, well, that one's bigger than that one. And I, <laughs> and I was like, okay, fair enough. So listen, NFTs, um, love them or hate them. There's no doubt in the coming year, we're going to hear more about them. Um, but let, let's bring it back to um, the, the real world in some way. Um, the second point I made was, is humanist photography back? And you also mentioned uh, about street photography and whether street photography was over. And I, I kind of see a bit of a connection between those two. But first off, did, do you see that humanist photography is back? Well, I'd love to ask you, what you what you're talking about when you talk about humanist photography, j just so I have like a really clear sense of where you're coming from. I think what I'm talking about from a UK perspective, but I think it's really translating in a big way to the American perspective, is that I'm seeing a lot of work in the UK, which is now, and maybe this is a response to COVID and the financial situation in the UK over the last um, couple of years, which has really gone back to how it was in the early 1970s, um, you know, Previously, we did have problems with Turkey and petrol and all sorts of things in the 70s. We've been having that again over the last year. Um, not a problem with turkeys, I should say, in attacking us in any way, but we just can't get them to eat for Christmas. Um, but I think the photography has started to kind of document um, from a humanist perspective. It, it started to be less brash and more about um, documentation of the local, of the everyday, of the region. And I'm seeing a lot of American photographers, um, I suppose, out in rural areas, turning their camera on to the world in which they live, maybe in a kind of like a, a 1930s Dust Bowl way. Have you, did you notice that pre-pandemic or does that sort of dovetail with the pandemic in your, in your mind? 
I get the feeling that I think that I've probably seen more of it um, over the, the period of the pandemic, but I kind of get the feeling that maybe that work was happening, but we just weren't seeing it. Maybe it's come come into the kind of the the online space, the exhibition space in a way in which it hasn't done before. Perhaps, you know, maybe a lot to do with you as well, because I think you're really good at promoting that kind of work. And we've had a number of these photographers on the podcast, but, um, I get the feeling, I suppose it's a, if I was to kind of tie it down for me, it feels like a kind of a Sally man approach. Well, I guess I have a couple of things to say. One is from a purely practical point of view. And I think we'll talk about this as we move into street photography, but with the pandemic, I feel like people were staying closer to home, shooting closer to home, um, looking, looking in their areas you know, with a magnifying glass. But in this country, we also suffered through, um, you know, four plus years of extreme um, hatred and divisiveness and uh, policies of our of former President Trump that dehumanized people at every turn. And so I can't speak, um, you know, to your part of the world, but here to have people look at humans again as humans um, to as a reaction to the dehumanizing Trump uh, rhetoric and policies, I think makes perfect sense. Yeah. And I, I think that's um, we've had a similar kind of we've got a um, thrift store Trump uh, here. And I think, you know, there's a certain kind of feeling. I think, you know, people just wanted to be nice to each other and started to recognize the importance of creating perhaps a, a kind of softer approach to, to the photography. Maybe also I'm seeing, you know, there is a, a movement towards creating that work with analog as well. Maybe that's also a kind of a reaction against the NFT and the, that kind of digitization of everything, that when everything's going super fast, people kind of step in and say, actually, let's just slow this down a little bit. I like that a lot. I think there's a, a lot there. So, well, thank you. So let's move on now to street photography. Obviously, the streets have been pretty quiet over the last uh, year. Well, yeah. I mean, what I've started to feel and, and question is whether we've come to the end or the temporary end of, of street photography. And, and I think, you know, that's due to a couple things. One is when there are fewer people on the streets, certainly in New York, it's oftentimes, you know, ghost townish, tumbleweed time. But when people are wearing masks, um, street photography is less exciting. It's, it's just less exciting when you can't see the whole person's face. You also can't get as close to people anymore. If somebody gets close to me, I'll, I'll either run or hit them. So, um, so there's that. I think one of the things that I'm seeing is that it's almost like everybody is doing it now, whether that's because they, they, they have an iPhone with them all the time or, 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 you know, they can just post stuff on Instagram real quick, but so much of the street photographer I'm, I'm photography I'm seeing is so samey, you know, with deep shadows and deep silhouettes. And, um, you know, it, it all starts to feel like the same person is taking the same shot again and again and again. 
but it's the ghost of Trent Park, isn't it? Sort of. Yeah. Um, and also, you know, that idea of, oh, well, if I can't do that, then I'll do that kind of funny comedy observation, which starts to kind of become kind of tired, really, after you've yeah. seen the great people doing it. I think also that where I, I see a tie-in to the humanists is I see a backlash to the Bruce Gilden attacking people kind of approach. I think that's 100% right. And, and I think the sort of in-your-face, um, you know, gotcha moment, uh, I think that's kind of past. I mean, I know when I see those pictures, I'm, I, I just move on. I'm not, I'm not interested. Which does tie in with that idea of humanists that, you know, it's so important that we recognize that photography does have periods where one area of photography comes up and it drops down. And there's no doubt that there's been a real glut of street photography over the last few years. I saw recently somebody said, you know, what's your first, you know, what tips have you got for someone starting out for street uh, in street photography? And I said, don't call it street photography. That's a great point. Um, you know, I think there is um, a photographer that I know um, both you and I are, are aware of um, named Steve Reeves, I believe. And what he does is photograph people, but he also interviews them. Um, and it's not the grab and go kind of picture. You know, he, he sort of asks them to uh, pose um, or at least be ready in their own environment. And so it's this sort of environmental, may I take your picture, please, street photography that works as street photography, but he also interviews them and gets lots of backstory and he captures an intimacy that again, I think dovetails with that humanist uh, movement you're talking about. Yeah, I mean, Steve's been on the podcast and I have to say I, I was particularly attracted initially when I saw his work because he documents the streets I grew up on and I was born in, in South London. So um, that was particularly interesting for me. And then I started to see how he was working and it was very refreshing. And quite rightly, as you say, he puts them on Instagram with quite a long uh, piece of text, the interview and the discussion with the person. Of course, it's not street photography at all. It's just photography. And it, it always amazes me that photographers are always so keen to pigeonhole themselves. I, I, I just don't get that. Great point. Yep. So, so well, I mean, we just mentioned briefly there, Steve Reeves and, and Instagram also. And one of the comments you made, which didn't really tie up with anything I was talking about, but I'm really interesting to hear what you've got to say about this. And you said, what's after Instagram? So what is after Instagram? And, and is Instagram over? So I don't necessarily think Instagram is over. It's a, you know, uh, it's great. A, a lot of people, um, as you know, turn to it first and throughout the day. At the same time, you know, the, the reports are coming out about how Instagram is knowingly harmful for teenage girls. Um, and I think a lot of people are starting to feel, myself included, that ultimately we don't sort of own what we post on Instagram. And if, and if Instagram closes or is sold or we no longer like the terms of service, um, we can't really do that much about it except for close our account. That leads me to think that um, one of the things that leads me to think is that people are going to start looking for a new next thing. Um, 
so I don't, I don't quite know what that thing is yet. I don't, I don't know that it's a direct competitor to Instagram. Like I am, you know, a few places have, have tried and, and haven't done it, but I do, I, I do think a hole is, is, is opening in the market for, for something new. You know, I, I know you're very successful with uh, Instagram, particularly with your your Friday showcase um, of photographers, which, which is um, absolutely superb. I personally have never really got the hang of it. Um, but for me, uh, what was really shocking just uh, a couple of months ago was when Facebook, Instagram and everything else went down and suddenly photographers who kind of put their careers onto Instagram were left with no way of showcasing their work. And sure, it, it came back, but and that must have been a bit of a reminder to them that you've got to be really careful and not put all of your eggs in one basket, especially when you don't know who's actually holding the basket or where they're traveling to. Um, or worse, you do know who's holding the basket and you don't trust them with anything like Mr. Zuckerberg, for example. Well, yeah, exactly. And last year, I've obviously saw the beginning of a number of problems for Facebook, didn't it? But it does raise that question also, I suppose. Do we need these these platforms as photographers? Well, yeah. I mean, you know, one thing that has been very encouraging to me about about the Friday Instagram posts that I do um, is that a ton of people comment and then they start talking to each other. And, and for a moment, community is formed around the one photographer's pictures that I'm sort of profiling and talking about. And there's a lot of exposure of photographers who don't usually you know, kind of get the limelight. So in that respect, you know, I do like Instagram and it is still serving a purpose, but, but I just can't help but think there's not something around the bend. <laughs> That's a very good English expression that we're all going around the bend in one way, yes. <laughs> one right. way or another. So listen, talking about uh, online and online community, one of the things I uh, jotted down was um, festivals and talks on Zoom post COVID. Uh, are they going to continue? And you made a, a comment, which was exhibits become experiences, which was a fantastically kind of abstract conceptual uh, statement. Um, but I think those two things are really connected. So do you want to pick up on that exhibits become experiences? One thing I've loved about um, what's happened during the pandemic is that, you know, so much stuff has gone online, gallery talks and, and whatnot. And it's been great to see, you know, photographers that I would never get a chance to listen to them. Um, speak about their work that's been, and be interviewed. That's been great, you know. And, and I've done some of those for um, for Leica, which has been which has been wonderful. But when I was talking about exhibits become experiences, you know, just before the pandemic hit New York, I went to go see the opening of a show or a, a show that opened um, by the photographer Tyler Mitchell. It's a young photographer. Um, you know, he's, he's quite smart and quite talented and his show was called, I can make you feel good. And yes, there were lots of photos on the walls, but there was also a grassy area where you could lie down and there were laundry lines, clothes lines with hanging laundry and hanging prints. 
And he really turned, which you could walk through, and he really turned the gallery into, you know, this three-dimensional navigable space that made you feel something. And then it was exhilarating. And it was so much deeper than just looking at framed photos on a white wall. And, And I think that that's where the future is. I think that's really interesting. I think it's also very interesting that Tyler uh, does so much work within the glossy women's fashion magazine market, because really what you're describing there is that creation of a of an experience, but also almost like a, a fashion shoot. You know, that idea of propping and styling and, and creating an environment within which something will happen. Well, he he had a show open, I believe, last week at the Gordon Parks Foundation, just north of New York City. Um, And what he did was, you know, this was sort of a look at um, vernacular photos and um, uh, family photos in a a black uh, in a black space. Uh, Tyler Tyler's uh, African-American. And what he did was he had a couch. Um, and carpeting and and mirrors and you know kind of re- recreated a living room, and the couch had photos printed on on it like upholstery, and that was just a new way to think about family photos. And I thought it was kind of brilliant and and surprising. But it really reminds me of my days art directing fashion magazines when that was exactly the kind of things we used to come up with. And I can see that connection. It really reminds me also of Tim Walker, the UK um, fashion and portrait photographer, who when he had his exhibition at the Victoria and Albert Museum, he did exactly the same thing. And interestingly enough, I remember many years ago, Richard Avedon had an exhibition at the National Portrait Gallery in London, where he also did a similar thing, where he used old Victorian picture frames to frame his black and white prints. And he had big prints made onto wallpaper that came across the gallery floor. So I think there's a real sense there of kind of showmanship that could perhaps be learned from another area of photography that's quite often, actually, I think, looked down upon by those who take the medium very seriously and feel that they have to be serious about the work and actually not embrace other kind of creative opportunities. Yeah, I mean, I think the creativity um, in in these last two shows that I've seen of, of Tyler Mitchell's work um, was just fantastic to see, especially in somebody who's, you know, in their mid, mid twenties. Um, pretty great. So, so as much as I have loved, um, looking at, um, you know, all these gallery talks and whatnot online, um, going to a gallery and walking through something has been great. I certainly hope that when the pandemic eases, um, these zoom gallery talks, um, remain. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it's really important for festivals, uh, galleries, exhibitions and so forth to recognize that democratic nature of being able 
to get a much, much bigger audience for work by um, putting it online. But I also think it, it puts perhaps a little bit of a pressure on photographers going forward to think, well, you know, we're going to have these ex, uh, these talks and we're going to maybe put the exhibitions online. That's great. But if you want people to come to the exhibition, you're going to have to work a little bit harder now. And you're going to have to really think about photography within a context, a creative context of perhaps moving image or audio or prop styling or, you know, all of those things you were talking about there with Tyler to actually encourage somebody to to see the physical so that the physical has a different relationship with the viewer than the online does. I, I think that's um, a thousand percent right. And I also think that photographers, some photographers could stand to practice talking about their work a little bit more because as these online gallery talks um, gather more steam and more people see them, you know, thousands of people see the recordings of these things, you know, over a couple months time, um, it, it behooves them to know how to talk about their work um, with intelligence and with insight. You know, you're absolutely right. And, and certainly from a teaching perspective, that's something that I'm always teaching students about is the importance of being able to write about their work and also to be able to speak about their work with confidence. And I actually only recently was talking to my students about the possibility of having some acting classes um, to try and encourage them to be better public speakers. Do, do you actually have them um, talk about their work to each other or to you as, a, as in like a practice session? Oh, yeah, they do that every week. Um, but we also include Petra Kutcher presentations that they have to put together so that they can practice actually standing in front of their work and creating, I suppose, in a way, an entertainment. Because I think that's yes. what photographers have got to recognize is that if you want me to sit there and listen to you for an hour, there has to be an element of uh, entertainment as well as information and a kind of aspiration and an inspiration really. Yeah. And in storytelling, you know, what, what were you thinking? Uh, what happened just before, just after the picture was made, you know, some sort of narrative that, um, that kind of leads us through your talk. It's interesting, isn't it? Because I mean, what we're talking about here, I think for photographers and it's, you know, particularly at the beginning of the year, when a lot of photographers may be having a little bit of quiet time and thinking about how they're going to progress through the year or how they're going to progress projects. Actually, what we're doing is we're setting a lot of challenges for photographers to develop transferable skills that may take them quite away from the traditional taking of a photograph. Yep, absolutely. So that's interesting because not only are we talking about the, the, the physicality of the exhibition, we're talking about the understanding of the digital world through the NFT. We're talking about that, you know, humanist reaction to what's going on socially and economically. It's challenging times for photographers. I can't tell you how many DMs I get on my Instagram feed just like, oh, what do I do now? You know, uh, nobody's nobody's buying this or nobody's looking at that. I used to be able to make a living at this. What do I do? Yeah, and, and it's just tough. 
And how do you respond? Because I get I get just as many as emails and as tweets, and I, and, and I tend to say the same things. So how do you respond to that? Well, I, I think I told somebody yesterday, uh, maybe two days ago, you know, I, I looked at the, so they asked me that question. They're sort of in the middle of the country, not in a big city. Um, their work was good. Their work was definitely good, but they were doing a little bit of everything. Mm. And I, I said, you know what, I think you need to specialize. I mean, you know, again, caveat, what do I know? But um, if I were you, I would start to work on a specialization so that when photo editors or, you know, photo directors or whatever, ad, ad people are thinking about a certain topic, um, you know, maybe they'll think of you or, or you can, you can, it, it'll help you in search, you know, um, when people are searching for certain things, um, because I think a specialty is, is important, um, even just as marketing. It's exactly the um, advice I give exactly the same. <laughs> <Really>? <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, because I think that, you know, it's very tempting. I mean, I always say, you know, don't try and be the kind of jack of all trades, be the master of one thing and, and get recognized for that thing. And if you speak to the right people who are interested in that thing, it is possible to build a career around that. And again, for me, from a teaching perspective, um, well, that's what I focus on from the very first day that students join me. What, what are your passions? What are your interests? That will be your subject matter. And right. I mean, I think the passion thing, Oh, sorry. I think the passion thing is super important because if you're good at taking pictures of cats, but you really don't like cats, you kind of hate cats. Don't, (laughs) <laughs> don't focus on cats, focus on something you're really passionate about. Cause that's, cause you're going to, you're going to like the people who work in that space. You're going to get more um, engagement when you work in the space that you love. Yeah. It's funny, isn't it? That both of us come from the perspective of kind of being a poacher and gamekeeper in the, you know, our passion for photography has taken us in lots of directions, but both of us have been commissioners of photography. So we recognize that requirement. And quite often I think it's difficult for photographers to understand or to spend some time in the shoes of the person who commissions. Yeah, exactly right. Now, speaking about that, um, just as we get to your final um, statement, um, it ties very well, I think, into um, everything we were just talking about, almost as if this had been planned. Um, But as you know, it never is. Um, Photo management and storage. What, What made you think that that was a relevant theme for us to discuss at this point? Well... I recently saw a stat that I think it was 2021 or maybe it's 2020. I can't remember. Um, People took one point, maybe nine trillion photos last year. Um, I personally have over 40,000 photos on my iPhone, which is moronic. I'm embarrassed by that. Um, I think... You know, obviously with digital cameras, we snap all day. Anything that interests us slightly, we take a picture of it. Um, When you're my age, if you don't want to forget something, you take a picture of it, um, like where I parked the car. And I just feel like we are going to need to figure out a way to organize our photo mess and to store it. You know, the other, the other problem here is climate change um, with fires and floods and other weather events. Anybody who's keeping 
you know, just their photos on a hard drive um, in their living room or whatever could well find themselves in peril. So I think, I think it's really going to behoove people to think about new solutions to store and manage their photos. So not only are we in a situation whereby we've got to manage and store that work, somehow or other, we've got to make sure that people know that it even exists. That's that's a whole wing of this thought that I haven't even considered, but you're a thousand percent right. Um, yeah. And, and I don't know how we, I don't know how we do that. You know, the other issue is I know photographers who have some trepidation about putting all of their photos, you know, in the cloud because nobody knows exactly how secure it is uh, or how private it is. So a new solution is definitely, definitely called for. And I suppose also it takes us in a wonderfully cyclical, cyclical way back to NFTs, which is back to that idea of a digital image that no one seems to know where it's going or who's bought it or whether you're going to get paid or so forth. So, you know, the same issues seem to apply to NFTs, to any other form of um, photographic image. It's always that problem of storage, dissemination, and at the end of the day, trying to earn a living from it. Hundred percent, hundred percent. But I'd like to to finish with something positive rather than something negative. <laughs> <laughs> At this time of the year, you know, uh, it's all a bit dark and a bit cold over here, and I, I'm sure it's the same where you are in uh, New York, and maybe even people have got a, a little bit of a hangover. So, what what positive? I'm going to spring this on you. What positives do you see, or what, what for photography in in the coming year? Well, some of the things that we've actually um, that we've actually talked about and the thing that I'm most excited about is this experiential thing, which we touched on, you know, with um, with Tyler Mitchell. But I, I, I think it is the kind of thing that any photographer who gets a show in the in the most humble of galleries can take advantage of. And really, that comes down to. Um, user experience, right? Which is, which is what we talk about when we talk about um, how people navigate the web or whatnot, or a website really have, you know, photographers often have tons of empathy for their subject, but it would be great if they also had that same kind of empathy for the people who come to see their shows. And I think it's something that, um, I think is wide open. I mean, it really is like open uh, an open field um, in, in terms of doing new things and getting um, both attention, but excitement and engagement from, from the viewers. So, that, so that's something that I'm, I'm looking forward to. I think that's a great point. And, and I think it's really interesting. You use the, that phrase there, user experience. It's something that we all uh, expect within our lives in many other areas. If we go to a store or we go and buy something, or maybe we go to the cinema, the garage, a band, see a band or something like that. We expect a user experience, but perhaps photographers are not quite as good as thinking about audience 
and the user experience of that audience. Um, maybe that's something that photographers should focus on as a, as a positive opportunity in the coming year. Yeah, definitely. I think for me, I would say that um, photography has never been more relevant or prevalent. I think that it, it, its power is, is not in any way reduced, um, but how it's used and where it's used is continually the challenge. You think it's going to be used in new, different ways in the coming year? Yeah, yeah, I think I think it already is. To be honest with you, I think that um, that I mean we're going back to the last year in in a way. So slightly going off piece here, but I think that the way in which photography was used as evidence of uh, the January the sixth. Mm. Uh, was really quite revolutionary, that idea that everybody would photograph and film what they were doing um, without the understanding that that would become evidence of something. I mean, that's such an interesting point. And you're using evidence in the sort of um, criminal you know, in the in the in the criminal context, which is accurate for January 6th. But when you think about evidence of, say, just existence or evidence of a moment, you know, the fact that we could, in theory, um, sort of bring together hundreds of photographs from, say, Brooklyn on a certain day when a certain event happened or weather front came in and tie them together the same way that, you know, the investigators did with January 6th could be really exciting. Yeah. And I think that's what's so interesting now about photography. I mean, I'm always talking about it as being a visual language and being incredibly democratic. And as each year goes by, I think that the challenges that arise for the professional photographer, the commissioned photographer, at the same time, um, other things are happening with photography that the professional and the, the commissioned photographer just needs to be aware of and perhaps needs to try and become part of rather than see themselves separately. I I could not agree more. Great point. Well, if we're going to finish with an agreement, then that's probably quite a good place (laughs) to end. I agree with that. Well, listen, Bill, as always, um, it's great to shoot the breeze with you. I mean, we could go on forever and ever, but as you know, I try to keep the podcast uh, kind of slightly concise, although this episode is going to be a lot longer than uh, usual as a a New Year's Eve special. So listen, um, thanks very much for joining us uh, on this uh, New Year's Eve. And I just wish you and your family and all of your friends uh, a fantastic um, year ahead. Well, same to you. And I will be, um, as usual, tuning into um, tuning into the podcast every week. So thanks so much, Grant, and Happy New Year. Uh, thanks. Thanks very much indeed. Take care, Bill. I always enjoy catching up with Bill Shapiro. Um, I hope you enjoyed listening to what we had to say. At the end of each year, whether it's in the world of sport or drama or acting or music, whatever it may be, award ceremonies quite often include a list of the people that have been lost from that industry in that year. And I noticed that nobody was doing that for photography. 
So over the last few years, I've been compiling a list of the photographers who I've noticed that we've lost in that previous year. This year, the list is longer than ever. And what I always do is just read that list of names. I'm going to do that in a moment, but before I do, I'd just like to apologise to anybody who I've missed off the list. I try and do my best to be as accurate as possible and include as many people as possible. But anyway, it's certainly been one hell of a year. So these are the people, the photographers, the friends, the colleagues that we've lost in 2021. Tom Lankford, Grace Robertson, Tom LeBong, Alice Rose George, George Force, Terry Thorpe, Brian Munro, Corky Lee, Ricky Powell, Bob Jardine, Chuck Close, Nick Oza, Hero, Edward Keating, Robert Blomfield, Philip Walmuth, Emmanuel Bobby, Benedict J. Fernandez, Aaron Rose, Giovanni Gastel, David McCabe, June Newton, a.k.a. Alice Springs, Vivek Bondre, Faye Shulman, Robert Houston, Chi Mondu, Sophie Riviera, Francoise de Molder, Eva Serini, Danish Sididqui, Peter Bunnell, Colin Jones, Halenia Hutchins, Gary Trotter, Jack Kurtz, Robert Altman, Romeo Gassad, Colin Shaw, Tom Stoddart, Mick Rock, Roger Phillips, Latif Al-Ani, Eddie Keating, Raymond Isaac, Ted Huang, Keith Mayhew, Jean-Pierre Durand, Geralt Llewellyn, Peter Webb, Lou Thomas, Renny Bardot, Philip Martin Ragustus, Barry Goma, Ricky Powell, Dennis Gilbert, Graham Harris Graham. It's never a pleasurable experience reading out that list, just as it isn't a pleasurable experience compiling the list throughout the year. Anyway, that's the end of 2021. Here comes 2022. We'll continue to broadcast every week, bringing you photographers answering the question, what does photography mean to them? And also reflecting on what's happening in the world of photography. And I suppose in my life in particular. I hope you've enjoyed this year's episodes, contributors, thoughts, discussions, and little elements we drop in there that you're perhaps not expecting. All it leaves me to do at this time of the year is to give that suggestion that we give every week. Take care. (laughs) 